Okay, welcome to episode 77 of the United Pubcast. Now, like we have done in recent weeks, we have managed to get another very special guest. Um, It's quite late here in Sydney and my co-host Larry has gone to bed because he has work first thing tomorrow morning. But um, a man who probably doesn't need much introduction to um, anyone who follows United on social media these days has become quite a prominent voice with um, some very sort of knowledgeable insights. Um, Rick from the United Stand, how are you, mate? Very well indeed, mate. How are you, Tom? Yeah, all very good, very good. Trying to cope with um, all this lockdown situation. Just uh, just on that, um, obviously Australia's got its own sort of challenges with everything that's going on, but we all sort of follow everything that's happening in England and it seemed like England has it quite bad at the moment. Just wondering how you're coping and sort of what life's like now in regards to living life in England under the sort of unprecedented times well unprecedented and and to say it's strange is 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 an understatement i couldn't really describe um, how strange it is um me and the wife we 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 rarely go out of the house um i i actually go out for my walk every day we're allowed to go out it's all it's different in different countries isn't it yeah but we're allowed to go out for, for exercise uh luckily the uh, the housing estate that i live on is fairly quiet um, so I, I just walk around the housing estate for about an hour every day. Other than that, I don't go out of the house. Um, we can still get we can get shopping delivered, so we don't even go to the shops. We just literally don't go anywhere. Yeah, so, it's uh, a little it's, bit it's like a that. Very very strange situation. Yeah, hopefully it all passes for everyone soon, and we can get back to a bit of normality. But we are here to discuss a little bit. A lot of podcasts in the recent weeks have sort of centered around non footballing issues. We've talked about the Glazers, the Saudis, yeah. and everything. Um, Because there's obviously no football, but we'll do our best to um, get a little bit of football discussion going. I think the reason we, a few of us, wanted to get in touch with you is um, I don't know why it started, but there was a a Keen v Carrick sort of comparison slash debate popped up in the last week or so. Yeah, Uh, I'm not sure what what it was. And I saw your opinion; you sort of jumped in a little bit. And I just want to, because obviously Larry, my co-host, is a massive Michael Carrick fan. Me, Roy Keane is my favourite player of all time. So just want to start on Roy Keane. For me, I feel what popped up. I think it might have been the anniversary of their game in Turin a couple of days ago. And um, yeah. he's often, in terms of this comparison with Michael Carrick, um, because of the sort of the areas they took up in the same uh, of the pitch. However, he was a completely different player. A lot of people say he's yeah. deep line or defensive midfield player, but I think it's quite not disrespectful, but sort of takes away from what an actual fine footballer he is. So I'm just sort of yes. just your general opinion of sort of the career of Roy Keane and how good a player he actually was. I think it's a great point that you make, Tom. Um, what, what's what's happened along the, along the way uh, with with Keno? Uh, he was such an abrasive character, uh, such a determined character, and uh, some of the scenes that he gets remembered for quite often, uh, like the, the the thing in the tunnel with Vieira, which was was which was fabulous entertainment. I've got to be honest. Um, but the thing with Vieira in the tunnel. Uh, the time he fronted up to Alan Shearer and he got sent off at Newcastle. Uh, obviously, the uh, the thingy with the, the you know the stamp really on on Alfie Inga Highland. Mm. These things are the are, are the things that seem to get pushed to the forefront, and people just think that he was just an enforcer. In fact, that's the word you often hear. He was an enforcer, but he was an absolutely brilliant footballer. Um, I've, I've seen him uh, in an interview with Keno himself, where he spoke about when he made his debut for Forrest and uh, Brian Clough pulled him to one side and uh, and just said to him, I've watched you play, 
you can control it, you can pass it, and you can run. If you do those things well, you can have a great career in the game. And obviously, Brian Clough was, was dead on, and he made a career out of that. But in a separate interview, I've seen Keno on, on Sky Sports uh, actually say that, that, that those things seem to be obvious. And I think he's right. He said, you'd be surprised how many Premier League footballers can't control it well and can't pass it well. And, uh, you know, it's, it's getting the simple things right and doing it right consistently and rarely giving a slack ball uh, you can go a long way, and and he made he made he made his uh, he made his career out of that, but was brilliant at it. But there's nothing there's nothing wrong. It doesn't mean you're not a top footballer because you're just consistently doing the right thing and making the right decision. He was an absolutely brilliant player, and just just to have him down as an enforcer is uh, is out of order, really. Yeah, I think 100% agree. And especially going back, I watched that match back the other day, the match against Juventus, and you look at it, you think. People can question how he sort of ranked amongst the greats. However, to be the best player on the pitch, on a pitch that sort of contains players like Zinedine Zidane and Edgar Davids and Deschamps, etc., yeah. you have to be yeah. a world-class player to be able to do that. But you're just touching there on consistency and keeping the ball, etc. Probably someone who does mm. that sort of no better than anyone else, obviously Michael Carrick, who sadly, I think, in my opinion, is getting far more praise now than what he actually did when he was playing for United. Um, yeah. sort of people were sort of looking back in hindsight and praising him, sort of rightly so. However, it's a shame he didn't get that at the time. Just your thoughts on Carrick's career at United? Because obviously when he came in, I thought he did very well when he came in, but it took him a while, mm. well, not took him a while, but I think it took the fans and the media a while to sort of appreciate him. Yeah. Um, uh, when when you when, when you first started this, you mentioned Keane and Carrick in the same breath, and what the the thing that was going on uh, about people discussing who was better. I, I think I think it there must surely be younger players. I mean, Carrick was an abs- uh, younger fans, I should say. I think the younger fans are probably remembering Carrick more clearly than they remember Keane. I mean, I'm I'm in my early sixties, and I remember them both like it was yesterday. Uh, and Carrick was an absolutely superb passer of the ball. Uh, he got undue criticism during his career of being a sideways passer and a backwards passer. I've got I've got two arguments against that. First of all, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that when there isn't a forward pass on. And lots of players get criticised for passing it sideways. I think we'll probably talk about Matic later. But if you if you study Matic's game, it's just, it, it not it's not exactly the same, but it's similar. He, he looks for forward passes at all times, and when forward passes are not on. Don't just try something stupid. Keep it simple. You know, give a square pass. Or if you've got to go backwards even, nothing wrong with going backwards, making yourself available and getting it again. So some of the criticisms that were levelled at him shouldn't really shouldn't really be criticisms anyway. There's nothing wrong mm. with sideways passing um, and backwards passing at times. Um, so my, Michael, but Michael Carrick's passing, uh, if, if he had one thing, I mean, we were comparing Carrick to Keane. Carrick, his passing was absolutely out of this world. If he had one thing that was ever so slightly better than Tokino, uh, I would say his passing was even better. He had more. He had more range. I would say hmm. uh, he had a he had a, a lovely, a lovely weight on his pass that he could put balls over the top of defenders, and they'd bounce and hold up for players to be able to get on the end of them. He was he's just an absolutely superb passer of the ball. Brilliant vision. 
And and the argument people argue in between Carrick and Keane, um, all I can say for Michael Carrick, he was that good. He was that good. It's a shame that the comparison is with such another great player, if you follow me. They're both absolutely fantastic footballers. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. No, exactly, 100%. And one of the reasons for both those players, when I used to play in my obviously younger days, um, number 16 was often on my back. Um, loved yeah. love both of them. Now, just on that, we'll talk in pretty pretty much the whole gist of this podcast will be about sort of the midfield area of the pitch and especially um, centred around Nemanja Matic. And anyone who follows you or watches the United stand will see Matic often comes up in discussions with yourself. Yeah, um, We'll get into mm. that. But just before we get into Matic personally, we just talked about Carrick and Keane there. And I, I think it's a little bit lazy to call them defensive midfielders or deep line players because they offered so much going forward in terms of with the ball. Yeah. However, it's sort of where you'd put them on a pitch if you were to draw them out with a, on a tactics board sort of thing. And there's so many different ways a player can play that role. Um, we've seen sort of Kante over the last couple of years sort of not redefine the role, but sort of put his mark on it. Then you have players yeah. like Michael Carrick and when Paul Scholes dropped in there. And we'll get into Nemanja Matic in a little bit. But just if you were making a team, if you were building a United team from scratch tomorrow, what sort of DM or defensive midfielder, what style of player do you prefer in there? Is it sort of a carry player who's really good on the ball? Or is it a, like, if you were assigned N'Golo Kante, would you have him in there instead in terms of that energetic type defensive player? That's a tough question. It's, it's difficult comparing different different players doing the same job in, in, in different styles because they can be absolutely brilliant at the job. And then to sort of say one's better than another, they'll have different compartments of the game that one might be better than the other. Yeah. But to say who might be better overall is such a tough ask. I mean, if you look at Carrick's career, he won five league titles. I think Keno won seven league titles. You just mentioned N'Golo Kante there. He won, he won the title with Leicester, moved to Chelsea, won the title with Chelsea, uh, and then won the World Cup. Mm. Um which Carrick never got a chance to do because he was disrespected so much by the England staff, in my opinion. Um, so, so to say which one you would prefer, you know, we thought the three players that we've mentioned, although one's not a United player, of course, the three players that we've just mentioned, I'd be happy with any of them. But I would, mm. I would go. I would go with Keane if I had to choose. I would go with Keane. Keane, like you said, you've mentioned the Juventus there, the Juventus game, and uh, Keane gets. Keane's one of those players that raises the game of the players that are around him in, in you know, without yeah. any shadow of a doubt. So I would go with Keno. Uh but Keno's a particular we're talking about a specific person. I'm not necessarily necessarily saying that I specifically prefer that style. Yeah, it's no, just that he was so good at it that I would go with Keane. Um if you think of another player who was like an abrasive type of midfield player, I might say, no, I'd rather have Carrick than him because of the, the difference in the quality of the passing. Um, it just makes just makes enough difference. You know, King was brilliant. Like I say, five league titles, a European Cup. Uh, it was Carrick, I should say. He's just, he's just a great player. So com- comparing comparing them to each other is, is, is a bit difficult, really, to sort of say you definitely prefer a style. You, mm. you need to look at each player, in my opinion, and say, well, I'd go with that player for this reason, yeah. or I'd go with that player for that reason. Yeah, especially sort of in terms of a team's needs and what a team sort of Hello? needs at that time. Are you time. there, Tom? Yeah? Can you hear us? Yeah, just got you, mate. Yeah, it's gone a bit quiet. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, especially depending on the team's needs and what they need, um, obviously... 
yeah, you could really never say never to in, um, include in Roy Keane in a team. You'd add to any team. But we're going to get on to um, your old mate, Nemanja Matic, someone who has definitely caused debate in recent times. Yeah. Um, yeah. What we did just there with Keane and Carrick, he has caused so much controversy. And I think it's sometimes not his biggest fan, but I think wrongly so, he's sort of drawn a lot of criticisms. I understand why. But since Matic came in, he was a highly criticised sign. I think a lot of play, a lot of fans, sorry, wanted. I think it might have been Fabinho at the time. I remember Eric Dyer was mentioned. Just wondering. Obviously, he's come in and played under a few managers now as well, or, or two managers, sorry, in Jose and Solskjaer. Just your opinion on Matic and his overall time at United so far? His overall time at United, he's really not been there that long. The first season, obviously the Mourinho season, and we came, we came second in the league, didn't we? I know we yeah. were a long way behind City, uh, but at least, at least we were the best of the rest. Um, I'd, you know, I'd love to take that now, second in the league. Mm. Um, so in in his first, I mean, if you remember when he very first signed in his first few games, everybody was raving about him. All yeah. the all the TV channels in England certainly were saying, "What a player! Why have Chelsea let him go?" And especially to a rival, um, it you know he'd won the league title twice in three years uh, before signing for us. He played he played about thirty five games a season as well. He wasn't a bit part player. So we're talking about a proper respectable, you know, top level uh, Premier League footballer here now. He's then coming to our team. We've finished second. All right, we, I can't remember how many points. A ridiculous amount of points behind City, 15 or 20 points even. And um, he's then... that it's, it's, You can't really argue with his first season. And I, and, I, and I looked at this. Again, he played 30-odd games, 34 games or something played. We've finished second in the league with, a, with, with the best of the rest. And that, that already brings us only to last season. Now, Now, last season... It wasn't going great, but but it's not necessarily down to any individual. I mean, there was I think there was trouble in the camp really last season. To level that a, a, a given player it would be unfair. I think it's more down to the manager that last reason last season was a struggle, mm. and then Mourinho got sacked. Uh, Solskjaer came in, and Matic was part of the team. That you know he was playing regularly in the team that Solskjaer uh, was winning all those games with was it eleven games on the bounce or something yeah. when he started? So I think overall, I think Matic can be fairly pleased uh, with his with his time at United. Uh, you know, as a, as an individual, um, finished second in the league, played thirty odd games, and then that that brings us already to last season and last season. Um, you know, last season it, it, it wasn't going great, but as soon as Ollie came in, it started going well again, and he was part of the team again. Suddenly, this season he's out of favour. I don't know why he was out of favour. I've had I've had this argument with a few people on the United stand. Lots of people say to me that he was playing poorly before he came back into the team in, at Christmas. What do you mean he was playing poorly? He's only play, he only played two league games before Christmas. Hmm. He played at home to Leicester. He played away to West Ham. How can you speak about somebody's form when he's only played two league games in however many months that is, four months perhaps? So um, so f- for whatever reason he was out of favour, I don't know. And he's brought him back. He only brought him back into the team because of McTominay's injury. And because McTominay got it, well, McTominay's not quite got his place back yet, has he? I don't know if he will take Matic's place. Yeah. I think McTominay is more of a threat to Fred than he is to, to Matic. Hmm. And I actually think Ollie. 
I actually think Oli has realised that he was making a mistake by not selecting him earlier in the year. Now, lots of people will say, no, he wasn't playing well. He just was, he, he wasn't not playing well. He just wasn't playing. So, you know, he, he should have been playing. And if he'd have been playing, we'd have had better results earlier in the season than, you know, like we've been getting since he's been back in the team. It, like you said earlier, it's such an important role in the side that he plays. If he'd been playing earlier in the season, we would have more points on the board. I've got no doubt about it. So I think overall, overall, I think for his time at United, I think he can be fairly happy with it. And for whatever reason, he was out of favour in the first three, four or five months of this season. I don't know, but it's not it's not his fault. I'm convinced of it. Yeah, I think he's one of those players. He's sort of... I have a love-hate relationship with him. I think sometimes I can pick flaws in him. Sometimes I think he's criminally underrated and offers so much, not so much in a defensive thing, but in terms of the way we move the ball forward. But I think in terms of he's a heavily criticised player, and I think unfairly one of the reasons is, if you look, we've discussed the area on the pitch, how important that is, but also where that is for us, usually that area on the pitch for the opposition is usually their best player, sort of in and around their 10 or sort of an attacking creative yeah. player. Yeah. And often yeah. we've had sort of poor games and bad games, and so the other team goes on the front foot and the other team often wins, etc. It's usually in, in and around that area of the pitch is the standout player. So if we see someone having a stand a man-of-the-match performance in that area of the pitch, we'll sort of draw a lazy argument as to, okay, who was marking him, who was closest to him. And he yeah, must have had yeah. a bad game if that player had a good game. And I think sometimes that's unfairly criticised as, yeah, it's, it's, it's cliche, but it is a team game. And it's so, um, yeah, I sometimes do feel quite, um, not sad for him, he's obviously a highly well-paid player, but I do, I do feel um, hard on him sometimes, um, the way he is judged in terms of the overall team's performance. Yeah, he, he does get judged nicely by too many, too many fans um, decide who they like and who they don't like and then they can't see yeah. they can't see the wood for the trees as we say over here and then yeah. when when the game starts or the game gets played they'll still come out after a game and say such a player was terrible yeah. i did a, i did a thread on a, i did a thread on Matic with uh, on twitter with um with quite a few snaps on it uh, clips on it i should say from the game where we got beat at west ham 2-0 lots of people he was heavily criticized and for me he was he was the best player on the field, and yet so many people argued back. You know, he wasn't the best player on the field. We got beat two nil. Um, how could he be the best player on the field? Mm-hmm. Well, he was. He was easily our best player on the field, and there wasn't too many West Ham players did any better than he did. And that—that's because you've lost two nil. Nobody, nobody can. Nobody wants to see really that, yeah. that certain players did okay, especially if you didn't like them uh, beforehand. He was probably United's only player who had a, who had a decent game on the day. Yeah, well, speaking of, obviously, we're both sort of quite, or you're obviously a really big fan of Matty I, I quite like him, wouldn't say I'm going out to get his um, name on the back of my shirt. However, in yeah. terms of it is that time of the year now, sort of names pop up in transfers, etc. And as much as we sort of like Nemanja Matic and think he's a sort of valuable member of the squad, he is at that, you'd say, part of his career where you start to have to look at age and have to look at contract situations. And in terms of yeah. names being popped around in the transfer market, is it an area as much as, okay, you think he's a fantastic player, fantastic person to have in the squad? If you there was an opportunity to get a replacement in, a younger replacement, maybe someone who Solskjaer sees as the future, would you look at replacing him or do you think there's sort of far greater priorities in the squad at the moment? Um, yeah, I think there's greater priorities in the squad, really. I think he's, 
look, I think, is he just coming up to 31 or is he just 31? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, about he's not actually that old, yeah, but just sort of he's in and around that sort of contract renewal yeah. time where people start to yeah. raise a few questions. Yeah, yeah. He's, it, there's a good two seasons left in him. And I mean, lots of people say, look, he's lost his legs. It's, it's, it's ridiculous that these players keep themselves in tip top condition. Um, whether it's still with United or not, he'll still be playing at 35 or 36 in that role. It's, it's generally generally uh, your wingers and your strikers that have got to stay, that have got to stay. I mean, you can lose you can lose a yard of pace in that position and still do a good job there. Hmm. You know, but maybe Michael Carrick, for example, was never particularly quick, was he? And did a fantastic job there till he was. I don't think he retired till he was 35, 36. Yeah. I think Matic can do exactly the same thing. Uh, and it'd, it'd be fine for us. I'm not saying we'll keep him that long, but he would be fine for us. Now, what, what I'd prefer to, to to think along the lines of is if he's good enough for the next two seasons, that maybe a bargain comes along, or maybe someone comes through the ranks who can do the job rather than spending rather than spending multi millions now, or which you'd probably have to spend to get an adequate replacement. Um, I'd I'd prefer to stick with him for a season or two and and just just see what develops during that period. That's that's the way forward, I think. Um, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna go and break the bank to sign a replacement, you can do that in twelve or eighteen months if it if it has to be that way. But by the time that time comes, it might not have to be that way. You might have have somebody who's come through the ranks who can do the job, or you might have you might have found somebody in in you know, a bargain basement signing along the way. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Now, moving a little bit forward in the midfield debate, now two names that are always on the tip of the tongue of United fans, um, Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba. Now, we could discuss put the Paul Pogba situation to death, and we don't want to get into that, but I remember seeing a few of your fan cams and tweets over recent weeks in regards to Pogba and Bruno, and from memory from what I've heard from yourself is you don't think, because everyone at the moment, even United sort of social media accounts are pushing the idea of how good it would be to see Bruno and Pogba back, etc. Yeah. But yeah, you've um, yeah. sort of alluded to the idea, you personally don't think, one, it'll work if that happened, or two, you will even see that. Um, just your opinion on what sort of, why wouldn't it work, etc., or why you think we won't see it. Right, but we, we, we t- obviously we tend to play a four-three-three these days. I used to love four-four-two, by the way, and I'd love to see us go back to that. But it tends to be a four-three-three. Uh, obviously, your central defensive midfield player, uh, like we've said, is such a vital position. You've got to have somebody in that role. I wouldn't fancy uh, any of the other players taking Matic's position in 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 that in that in that position. That position. So many people don't realise how important it is. It's about having a steady, steady... You've got to start by trying to keep clean sheets. If you keep clean sheets, you might only have to score once to score a goal. Lots of fans think, oh, he's, he can do this, he can do that. We put all these players together, we might start scoring bundles of goals. It could work for you, but it's it's much easier to try to build a successful team by being difficult to beat. And hopefully you can pick up lots of wins along the way Without, I mean, necessarily, I'm not saying you can't, you know, obviously great if you can score more, but lots of, there's nothing wrong with having lots of 1-0 wins and that breeds confidence and hopefully, you know, you can start doing even better attacking. So so you, your central defensive midfield player is a vital part of the machine. Your goalkeeper, your two centre-backs, then your central defensive midfield player. Get that right and, you, you know, you're on the right. You know, you're on the right track. Mm. So Matic, to me, is easily our best player for that role. He needs to play there. So then, 
if you if you're going to pick Bruno and Pogba as your other two midfield players, I just don't fancy. I just don't fancy it because the both such is flamboyant a fair word about both of them. Yeah, the yeah. both players who want to be creating chances, want to be having shots from distance, want to be playing long balls from one side of the field to the other. I just think, I just think it'd be one too many. I really do, and I think, I think you'd find that the you know with with them playing like that, when the opposition are going to break on us, which they're going to do numerous times in a game, I think you might find Matic is, is left alone too often, and and I just don't fancy it working. I mean, I, look, I stand to be connected. I, if if it if it does if they do go down that avenue. Whether it's whether it's Matic or McTominay or Fred, they choose in the holding role because one of them's got to play. Yeah. Um, and then and then if it's Bruno and Pogba, I don't think it'll go well. I'd love to be proved wrong if we can start scoring three, fours, and fives. It doesn't matter if we let one or two in, yeah. but it isn't that easy in the Premier League to suddenly start scoring threes, fours, and fives. Yeah, I think it really it's one of those isn't. ones that it looks very good on paper. If, if everything's going well, it's probably the best midfield duo in the in the Premier League. However, over a Premier League season, things don't go well for nine months. You're going to hit hiccups and everything. So it is one yeah. that looks very good on paper. And you mentioned sort of the word flamboyant. I think in terms yeah. of there, if you're sitting with Nemanja Matic in there, I think that having two, I don't mean risk takers in a in a bad sense. I think that's a good attribute to have. But they're two yeah. very big risk takers, Bruno and Pogba and yeah, as you say, you're going to lose the ball a lot and you're going to put the defense. And if you just hold in, got one holding midfielder there, you're going to put a lot of yeah. stress on um, one midfielder. But just without getting into the whole Pogba stay or go debate, in my opinion, I think well, it changes every week. One week, I think Pogba's going to stay. One week, I think he goes. Overall, I mm. think Bruno was signed as his replacement. Um, yeah. Time will tell. However, obviously, the world has changed drastically since and could yeah. very well affect Pogba's situation. Just a sort of quick idea of your opinion if Pogba's going to stay or go? Um, like you say, the world's a very different place than it was even, you know, six or eight weeks ago. Um, it's difficult to predict the, uh, the the financial climate when we come out of all this. Uh, first of all, whether somebody will be able to afford the amount of money that we want for Pogba. Uh and secondly, we don't know what, what the situation will be in. Whether if somebody comes in with, if say they come in, somebody comes in with a right derisory offer, which would have been a derisory offer say two months ago, but it might not be in in, in another six months' time or however long it takes, four months' time. Somebody comes in with an offer of forty or fifty million quid. You might, you, you never know. We might be in a position where we've got to say, well, we'll take it. Yeah. Um, so it, the, the world's just a completely different place. So I don't know, I don't know what will be the correct value valuation of Pogba. Uh, but for me, I, I like, I, I like a defensive midfield player. I like somebody who works his socks off and won't get caught too far too far forward of the ball too often. Somebody like McTominay or Fred, and then one one creative player. Uh, and, and Bruno's the man in possession. And I don't think Pogba would take too lightly to being like the backup to Bruno. Yeah. So for for those reasons, for me, if we can get what whatever we consider is to be a fair valuation, take it. Yeah, and I think there'll be 
still plenty of discussion regarding Pogba over the coming weeks and months. It is not something that's definitely yeah. going to go away. Mm. However, mm. we'll finish with two players um, who, obviously the first player now, speaking of favourite players, I've got, got to that age now where I don't really have favourite players. However, if I am to settle on one, it is definitely one matter for a number of reasons. However, here's one, another player who gets a lot of criticism, and I'd say he's a player that gets criticism probably in the nicest way. I think all of it is down to his football and ability or what he contributes on all pitch. I think so many other players get criticised and it turns sort of a little bit nasty and personal and there's a yeah, little bit of, yeah. of agendas. With Matt, I think because he's such a nice guy, a lot of the criticism is purely football, which I don't agree with a lot yeah. of the criticisms, but I can accept it. However, yeah. Um, yeah, he is one that sort of does get a lot, and a lot of people, if, if you were to take a sort of a survey, I think a lot of people probably would ship him out. Um, I wouldn't be in that camp. But I think Matt is one of those, he obviously came for a record signing back under in the David Moyes era. He's played a lot of his career at United out of position. Just wondering yeah. your thoughts on Matter as he's because he's been in the club now. It's coming on to a while. You never know. A few more years, it'd be in testimonial territory, I think. So, um, yeah, perhaps, yeah. I'm just thinking how you think he's done in terms of he hasn't quite lived up to the what you'd expect from that sort of World Cup winner he was with Spain and winning the Champions League at Chelsea. Mm. But I think again, a player who's been very hard done by in terms of the job he's been given in certain um, parts of the season. Yeah, you've said it all there, Tom. You, you know, you banged on. He's, he perhaps hasn't quite lived up to it. I, I, I'd argue that, that, well, like you've just said, really, he's, he's not always played in his best position. He's not always played enough. And uh, we have had some up and down times. It, you know, like, like you said, the cliche before, it is, it is a team game and you can't just do it all on your own. So he's had some great moments, but, you know, all too often... Um, all too often, he's the bright spark in the team and, and some of the other players are not up to his level, in my opinion. So it hasn't gone fantastic for numerous different reasons. Um, whether whether, they, whether they're going to move it, how soon they'll move him on. I think he's got a contract for next season, hasn't he? I think yeah. he's already signed him for next season. I think next season will be his last season, to be honest. But uh, I, I wouldn't have any problem. One matter is just a class player. He's got a lovely touch. He's got a wonderful left foot. He's got a brilliant football brain. He knows when to hold it, when to pass it. He's just a top quality footballer. Another one who, who gets leveled that his legs are gone. Just be, as soon as you reach thirty these days, you said the, the you know people say your legs are gone. Yeah. His legs his legs looked all right when he got that winner against Wolves the other week. when he Marshall yeah, played that, it yeah. through the middle of the field, took it brilliantly. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm I'm a massive massive one matter fan. And I think he'll probably get less and less game time next season. And at the end of next season, he'll probably be let go, I think. Yeah, I think he's one of those players in terms of... And it's a a very easy thing to say, oh, he'll play better with better players around him. However, I always... And maybe it's a lazy comparison, but always look at what Pep Guardiola did with David Silva. And obviously, David Silva is a... He's top of the line player. He's a better football than one matter. He's fantastic. However, it just got him involved more, just dropped him almost into a midfield position. And the more you yeah. have intelligent players and players with quality on the ball, you more, the more you have them on the ball, the more you're going to dominate, yeah. the more you're going to create. So I always felt maybe it wouldn't have suited Matt, I'm not quite sure, but I would have liked to have seen more of a go of dropping Matter in, in and around the midfield area. But um, obviously I probably wouldn't yeah, do that no- now, but it would have been nice to see over the years. 
But um, just yeah, moving on before we finish, because um, yeah. I could talk about Matter all day. Now, Larry, mm. my co-host, who has gone to bed, obviously, um, his favourite player yeah. is obviously someone you've obviously praised a lot um, over the time, because, again, like all our players, which we've mentioned, um, actually, I'm just looking here, all three start with them, Matic, Matter, and obviously Anthony Martial. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Just him, because obviously now, which what I said with Matic, a lot of names been linked in around midfield, but striker is an area that's people, maybe not striker, but sort of that attacking position and... Look, who knows what we class Martial as? Is he a left wing? Is he a striker? It seems to change every couple of weeks. Um, yeah. Just your opinion on his role going forward in the team with sort of players like Jaden Sancho and potentially a, an addition um, of a new striker coming in, maybe. Um, just where you see him is if we're going on to win a Premier League title or win a Champions League in the next couple of years, is he the number nine for you? Again, it depends on the team around him. Um... Marshall to me is one of few players uh, who who we've got who if they if they was if they were taking the place of their counterpart in the Liverpool team he wouldn't let them down um, like Firmino plays as a number nine for Marshall and strange strange because there's that that many different styles of centre forwards sort of Harry Kane uh, Sergio Aguero great players but different styles uh, then you've also got Firmino. Who, who to me is probably the closest centre forward in the Premier League to being the same as Marshall. In that he's always coming short, looking for the ball, linking the play up, feeding the wingers, or in, in Liverpool's case, it's often the full backs, and then arriving in the box as the crosses are coming into the box. Um, now, Marshall can play exactly the same as that, uh, and he can also finish. He's a top, you know, he's, he's, I think he's just a top, top player, Anthony Marshall. So if we, if we can build a good enough team, I would say, yes, we can win the major trophies with Anthony Marshall in the team. But, as again, as I would say once more, it's a team game. Can't do it on his own. He's got to have top players around him. So, he, he is good enough, but the team's got to be good enough. And he's he's one of the few cogs in the team that I think is good enough. Do you think he's a player, and again, one of the criticisms labelled at him, and, and I think this comes more from a sort of a visual thing rather than actual technical and analytical point of view, but th- when things aren't going well and when maybe he's out of out of form a little bit and things aren't quite clicking for him, it, it's a stupid thing, but he has that body language. Do you think that's something that is just him and United fans are going to have to deal with? Or do you think it's something that sort of Solskjaer, okay, he's worked with him for a while now, but do you think something he can grow out of and understand the importance of... And, and he works very hard. I think his work rate is something that's often quite underrated. Yeah. But it's a, it's a visual that he looks like he's not working hard and that sometimes... Look, fan opinion is big. Fan opinion creates pressure, creates news, and sort of that can add to a player's can add mm. on, can add the pressure to them. And I'm just thinking that is always going to be labelled at him. Do you think that's sort of just part and parcel of it, or do you think it's something that he can work on, or it's just that's just life? I know exactly where you're coming from with that. Um, it does. You see, if you if if you take my situation when I'm sat watching the game and I go to the games. I don't see that, although I do appreciate it when I watch it on the TV later on and I can realise that he, he maybe shrugs his shoulders or he throws mm. his arms up in the air if he doesn't receive a ball that he thinks he should have received. Um, but people are on his back because it's not going great, not yeah. not just for him, but for the team. And uh, I don't think people would be levelling it at him so much if the team was stronger, if we were chasing trophies. And once he starts scoring... 
which he, he would have done this season, I think. I think he's got about 16 or 17 goals in all competitions. It it had been up it had been up over twenty, maybe even twenty five goals, and people people accept it. People think differently about you uh, when it's going well, and uh, I think they need to sort of forget uh, what his body language is like because, like you said, he, he does work. He works he, he works his socks off at times, and he's also he's also a very intelligent player. He puts his when when the opposition defenders have got the ball. He cuts angles off. Sometimes he can just jog into a position that cuts an angle off that makes the player play the way that he wants mm. him to play the ball. He doesn't want him to maybe play it across the field. He wants him to play it down the line. So he cuts that pass off and he can he can do it so easily that he, he can't... How can I put this? There are times when he can't really go running anywhere because if he goes running anywhere... Yeah the position that he wants to be in. Do you understand what I mean? So yeah, I remember those one so game. I think it's I... a bit... Uh, it, it, look, I think the people who, who just see his body language need need to wake up a bit, but whether they ever will. Yeah, I think there was one game. I forget. I think it was earlier in the season and he was playing up front and he did exactly what you just said there. He was sort of shadowing the player to the defender to play it in the trouble sort of thing. And I think Dan James was on the right wing and Dan James just went 100 mile an hour pressed and it just allowed um, sort of the, the opposition team to play up from the back. But Martial was doing the exact perfect thing to do, play, playing in a pre- get the defence to play into sort of where United yeah. had numbers. But just... Yeah. A completely different intelligence level, Daniel James, who just went, "I'll go get the ball," and um, I yeah, think we have he, a lot of intelligent, yeah, a lot of intelligent yeah. players. However, all on different wavelengths, and I think, um, yeah. look, that's a that's a job for uh, um, the manager, unfortunately, to do. He has to get that right and find that balance. Yeah, but um, I yeah, think absolutely. that, yeah, I think that just about wraps up all the points our members put um, down for us today, and I think um, quite a good listen, I think, because. Um, Everyone gets sort of all emotional when you talk about players and you sort of review performances, etc. But I think sometimes it's good just to take a step back, have a breath, and realise sort of, well, these are professional footballers who are actually play a bit better and deserve a little bit more credit than we sometimes give them um, when we yeah. walk out of the ground after 90 minutes. Yeah, 100%. But um, just on that, just um, a bit of a thank you to yourself because... Obviously, it's tough for everyone at the moment with no football and nothing to sort of watch on the TV, especially for us here in Australia. Um, yeah. But for us in here in Sydney, New South Wales, a lot of our members from the Supporters Club here, obviously, the, a lot of the only content we get now is off YouTube. So seeing the likes of what you do on the United Stand, etc., it might seem sort of a little bit sort of just part of the day or a little bit insignificant for you, but sort of you do give us something in Australia to um, watch at night or watch in the morning when we wake up or when we're going to really? work. It does give us something because our coverage here in Australia, look, we get all the games. We probably get better coverage of the actual games, quite the, better than yeah. England. We get every game live. But the coverage yeah. besides that, it's absolutely non-existent. So um, just to thank you on behalf of our members in terms of all the work you continue to do, it's um, always good to listen to you guys no after problem. a match. No problem. I enjoy it, mate. I really do. Okay, and again, thank you for all our listeners listening to this. Hopefully you enjoyed it. We are creeping up to episode 80, I think, 77 this was. So give this like, give the podcast a like and a share. Hopefully you've enjoyed that little bit of positivity and we will chat to you um, early next week. So have a good weekend, guys, and cheers. See ya.